Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you so much for letting me join you guys. I like your family. I like your community out here. And it's really, uh, it's an honor, so thank you. Um, Yeah, my name is Shannon, and I came to Bellingham in 2004, originally for Western, where, and I graduated in 2016, and I never thought that this many years later I would still call this home, but uh, I came from Squim, Washington, out on the peninsula, that's where my family is mostly from, and, uh, but this now has a lot of spiritual family in Bellingham, so it's definitely a, a home for me as well. And um, a little bit of my last 10 years, I got, to, um, I got to serve at the Lighthouse Mission for a couple of years and also on staff at the Light of the World Prayer Center for about eight years. Um, I was called as a kid to be a missionary, and that's taken many different forms, done some overseas stuff and some local stuff, uh, but that's my heart. And so, yeah, now for the last three years, I've been director at Love in the Name of Christ, Love, Inc. of Whatcom County. It's our 30th year anniversary in our county. And uh, it's been 41 years national. uh, Love, Inc. started that 41 years ago. But Love, Inc. uh, gives a lot of freedom for each affiliate, each chapter to tailor it according to our needs because they don't know what kind of poverty we have, what kind of resources we have, what churches will want to partner together. Um, The nutshell on Love, Inc. is that we're a partnership of churches. There's about 38 uh, churches in our partnership in Whatcom County, all, all, you know, from the, the Blaine to the Nooksack to the, all the way down in the south side of Bellingham. So uh, the vision is that we have, the vision is that Christian churches are united in how we serve our community and respond to needs. We believe that God is doing a work of unity in the body of Christ. Uh, when you think about uh, the broad like over the centuries, right now we're in it. We're in a time where God's building unity in the body of Christ, and we see that in our county. And we want to be living out our faith by actively serving others in need in our community. And we want to have a way for churches to um, feel connected with one another in their city. Our mission statement is: we help mobilize churches to transform lives and communities. So we do that. One of the ways is just informed compassion giving uh, different churches a way of being informed and ways to serve in their city. Also educated compassion, ways that they can be trained and equipped in how to do health, how to, how to love people who are poor and broken in a healthy way. How do we do compassion effort, effort with wisdom? Um, we want to aim for transformation in the way we help people not just sustaining someone in a life of poverty, not just sowing into a culture of dependency, but something that will be on that trajectory. Uh, So that's what we talk about in our training. And then last, just mobilized compassion. It's really brokering opportunities of serving others in need. We have a call center. People call in with needs. We listen, spend time with them, listening to their story, pray with them. And then we ask a lot of questions. And uh, we kind of have a vetting verification 
system that we go through to really discern what helping that person looks like and what it does not look like. And uh, so that process helps us uh, inform and mobilize churches. We can connect people who call in with need uh, opportunities, or sorry, resources or volunteers to serve with them. So that's a little bit of the nutshell. If you want to learn more, you can look on our website. It's walkamloveinc.org. There's a get involved page if you want to see what volunteering might look like. There's a, you can sign up for a newsletter if you just want to sign on for a season and just sort of see what kind of events are there, what kind of volunteer opportunities are there. So, all right, we're going to talk about transformation today. The mission statement, we mobilize people to transform lives and communities. So that's what we're going to talk about, transformation today. I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, I just thank you again for your heart, for your ways, Lord, for your presence, that you're risen, you're alive today, your word is living and active. Lord, I pray right now that you would give us humility, that we'd be like Mary, sitting at your feet and listening to your word. God, I pray for a teachable heart today in our hearts. We want to receive from your word today. We're hungry, Lord. Give it to us like bread. Lord, I ask for wisdom, revelation, and understanding that you'd give us a new perspective. We're here to listen today to you, Jesus. I ask for your blessing, your power, your anointing on your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so transformations in the Bible three times in the New Testament, transformation. The first one is Matthew 17, um, where it talks about the transfiguration. That word is actually transformation. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his garments were white like light. He was transfigured, transformed, completely changed in front of their eyes. The next one is Romans 12. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing, you may discern the will of God is good, perfect, and acceptable. And in second Corinthians 13, 18, and we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed, changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Transformation. So the word in Greek is metamorpho. It comes where we get the word metamorphosis. The famous thing in creation that God gave us to understand metamorphosis is the butterfly. First, it's a little caterpillar wormy wormy. Then the chrysalis, awkward, awkward stage of death, not death. What are we doing here? And then we emerge from the chrysalis, like resurrection life after that death, as a completely changed being. I have wings and I can fly. Life is radically different. I'm, it's nothing like it was before. Right? Metamorphosis. Total transformation process of change. It's a good image. It's really important to think about that, that you can't skip to the end. The caterpillar cannot pretend... It would be ridiculous to try to pretend that he can fly, that he's a butterfly, to try to convince you that he can fly, that he's the same thing as those butterfly brothers. No, you're not. He can't inch his way out on that branch and say, I can fly and just dive off that branch. He's going to go, it's just not going to happen. 
We can't skip that process. We have to acknowledge, I am a worm. I am a caterpillar. I have no wings. I cannot fly without massive transformation hitting my life. I can't do it. Then I have to accept this really awkward chrysalis, this awkward dying process, this awkward process of transformation. And then I get to emerge in God's timing with a radical new being. What a gift. What a crazy thing. We're going to be transformed, metamorphosis, by the renewing of our mind. We're going to be transformed, metamorphosis, by beholding the glory of the Lord and then changing from one image of glory to another. So I like to talk about transformation because it's in our mission statement. We mobilize churches to transform lives and communities in the name of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. We want transformation to hit our city. We want to be used by the Lord and go out there. But what I find is transformation is a two-way street. The way the Lord works is we go out to serve the poor, the needy, the broken, and it backfires on us. And we find Jesus is serving me and ministering to me through them. Have you ever experienced that? Where you go out to be the one helping, the one serving, and you find Jesus washing your feet. You find him radically changing you. I I have gone on this journey with the Lord through uh, different years of my experience, and you probably have had your own, but I find that Christ meets me when I serve others. And let's look at Let's look at get Matthew 25 up there. It's really, really a powerful experience, what he does. I'm going to read it from Matthew 25. You've heard this before. And he will place the sheep on the right, the goats on the left. And the king, this is our King Jesus, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed by my father, inherit a kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. This is Jesus. I was hungry. And you came in gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison. You came to me. The righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or prison and visit you? And the king will say, truly I say to you, As you did it to the least of one of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We often have this in the back of our mind that we're going out to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. As if he's going to incarnate himself through me to them. That's not what it says. Jesus chose to incarnate himself through the poor and the least of these. He's in them. And he is ministering to me through them. I'm seeing his face in the face of the poor. I go out to feed the hungry and it's, I'm the hungry and I'm, I am in them, right? It's a massive shift. I go out to encounter Jesus. I choose to, to be in the place where the poor and the needy and the broken are because I need him I need him. 
That's where my revival's coming from. Jesus, I want to encounter you. I want to see you. I want to know you. I, it's going to happen through them. He's going to answer it there. It's crazy. Humility. I, I, I find that as I serve others, one of the first lessons as I come to learn from the Lord is humility, humility, humility. The first lesson is humility. Um, there's a beautiful verse in Philippians that talks about the mind of Christ is a humble mind. Have this mind in yourself, Philippians 2, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He was in the form of God. He didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He didn't lose the nature of God by doing that. He demonstrated what God was like by doing that. He's not someone who just uses the character card of humility now and then. He is humble through and through. He became poor so that by his poverty he could make many rich. Um, in Matthew 18, it's a very important passage. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So he calls a little child, puts him in the midst and says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn, that word is convert. Unless you have a complete conversion experience and turn, become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. As we go, as we're especially going out to love others and serve others and bear witness, we have to come like a child who's ready to learn from Jesus, who needs to be taught. Pride will blind us. Humility comes first to be able to see and receive. I find uh, it's important to have grace on our life. Uh, you know James where it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So I want to actively partner with humility. If God gives grace to the humble and I want more grace, then I want to say, Lord, how can I partner and cooperate with humility so I can get more of your grace to land on me? Because I need it, I need it, I need it, I need it. So I say, well, what's humbling? Asking for help. That's humbling. So choosing to ask for prayer when I need it is a way I can partner with humility and receive more grace. Going and spending time with people who are poor and broken and have their life in shambles, that's humbling. And I want to cooperate with that humility so I can receive more grace. Playing with children sometimes is a way to humble ourselves, go low and slow. Partnering with humility, that's a place of grace. Grace will be released to us as we enter into that place of humility. I call it places of graces. It's like, I need, you know, I need more money, go to the ATM. I need more grace, go to humble yourself. Where's that going to happen? So, it's basically this journey of letting the poor become teachers. Let Jesus be in them to me. So what, I'm, if you're a parent, you've totally been through this. My sister is a mommy of a four-and-a-half-year-old and a, a two-year-old. So we got four-and-a-half-year-old Katie, two-year-old Mark. Mark's in the twos. Every time you say no to him, it's full-on meltdown. It takes a lot of patience. 
So I got this story the other day. My sister says, I have to tell you what Katie did. She said, okay, mommy, I'm going to make you a chart. Every time you speak nicely to Mark, I'm going to give you a sticker. <laughs> Every time you'd say not nice words to Mark, you're not going to get a sticker. And when you have enough stickers, I'll give you some money from my piggy bank. <laughs> and then she went a step further. She said, Katie said this to my, my sister, daddy doesn't need a chart because he speaks nicely to mommy or nicely to Mark. Ooh, twist it. It just was this moment like, if you're going to be totally arrogant, you're going to just write that off and be like, you're just a kid, meh, right? If you're going to be humble, you're going to say, oh, Jesus, I hear you. I hear you. Yes, it's an ouch. Yes, it stings. Embrace the sanctification. Do you really want to stay clothed in pride? No, I don't. I want to learn how to see. I want to learn how to feel. I want to learn how to receive. I want to know his heart. We want to exit worm stage, go through awkward chrysalis, end up butterfly. We really do. <laughs> so um, I want to talk about learning to receive. Learn to receive. That's what we do. We have to humble ourselves and then learn to receive. Let the poor become our teachers. Jesus learned how to receive and he demonstrates it first and foremost as an incarnation. He comes God, God, all of his wisdom. And then he comes as a baby. He has to be held, he has to be fed, he has to grow, he has to be taught. He, I mean, talk about learning to receive. God himself had to receive from his mom, had to receive from people around him to just grow. He was a helpless baby. When he was an adult, him and his disciples, it says in Luke 8, that other people provided for him out of their means. He had to receive. Also, when he was a woman at the well, he, the woman at the well, and he says, Will you give me a drink? I'm thirsty. She's like, you're asking me? The dignity he gives her. You have something to offer me that I need right now. I need a drink. That's amazing. John 9:34, super important one. Do you guys remember the story where the man born blind was healed by Jesus? He made mud, eyes, washed his eyes, comes out seeing. And the Pharisees had a hard time with it. They didn't like it at all. And they were talking with him and they, it wasn't going well. So then in John 9, the Pharisees say to this blind man, they answered him and said, you were born in utter sin. You would teach us. Doesn't that stink of pride right there? Woo, yeah. You were born in utter sin. What were they born in? I mean, is there an option here to not be born in sin for us, really? No. <laughs> so they were so arrogant. There was no way they were going to learn from a blind guy. That's, that's kind of what the Lord has to confront. He has to deal with the pride that's rooted in me going out to serve them and not expecting to receive anything substantial from them. Right? As if I have and you don't. I know. I, I can and you can't. I'm here to serve you. It's a little bit condescending. Um, there are people who uh, you would, we would call... The, the natural poor, they're very sensitive to spiritual condescension because we think because they're homeless, they don't know Jesus. I go to church, I have my life put together, I must be farther along in my faith than they are. It's really arrogant. We don't mean to, it sneaks up on us. The Lord has to expose those things. You know, I find that Jesus, he has clear eyes, right? He says, you know, that's the blind leading the blind. Is Jesus blind? No, he's the not blind one leading the blind, right? 
He says, we need to be careful about not judging one another because I'm going at, at, you know, trying to get the speck out of your eye and I'm ignoring the plank in mine. Jesus has no plank in his eye. He has no speck in his eye. He has clear eyes. So he is the only one who can say, Shannon, you have some judgment there. You're not seeing right. You're seeing judgment instead of clearly. Can I take that speck out of your eye, honey? Right? Plank. <laughs> Um, so here's one of the times where Jesus took the plank out of my speck, plank, whatever, out of my eye. I was at the drop-in center at the Lighthouse Mission, and I was new to being around people who have some mental health issues. And there was a man at the table, and I, I, he was alone, so I went and just started to interact with him. He starts talking, we start talking, and it's fine. And uh, then I, maybe because I was giving him the time of day or something like that. We end up talking more and he starts writing things down and he gets really excited to tell me all this stuff. And I, he was gibberish. I had no clue what he was saying. It was way out there. Probably very smart and amazing, but way over my head. I had no idea. I started to get uncomfortable. And I just was like, hey, I gotta go make some coffee. Peace out. And I didn't think anything of it. About 10 minutes later, this lady comes and says, Shannon, can I talk to you? She was a guest, a client there, and um, she was a Vietnam War vet, definitely struggled with some uh, substance abuse to deal with issues and, and some mental illness, but she was sober and clear-headed on that day. Can I talk to you? Yeah. She pulls me aside. She does it so well. And then she says, Shannon, you're a leader here. I'm kind of like, it's kind of awkward. Like, okay, where are you going? And Shannon, you... You're an example, okay? And then she just says, Shannon, you don't have to understand what he's saying for him to know that you're giving him the time of day. You don't have to understand what he's saying for him to know whether or not you're giving him the time of day. You're an example on how to love people well. You don't have to understand him. Bam. <laughs> Talk about humbling. I was able by this gift that Jesus gave me to have an ounce of, I had preparation before those days to, to know if you're humble, you can learn from the poor. So I was like, okay, this stings, but praise the Lord. God just sent me a rabbi teacher in the form of a mentally, oh, you know, awesome woman, you know? And so she's, I'm, I have to be willing to learn in this moment. And he's showing me a speck and a plank in my eye. And I wouldn't have known in that moment, I would have said his mental illness was a barrier to, uh, to me loving him well. That's a lie. <laughs> no, my fear of his mental illness was the barrier, not his mental illness. My fear of the unknown in the conversation. Oh no, I don't know what to expect. Now, if I talk to you, I know what to expect. If I talk to someone who is way out there, all of a sudden this unknown it makes me uncomfortable and I'm afraid of the mental health issue, peace out. No, my fear's the barrier, not his mental health issue. He knows whether or not I'm giving him the time of day. I don't have to understand him to love him well. Yikes. Yep, salt on my wound. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me and humbling me. Embrace it. Uh, it's just the best way. They make the best teachers, and it's the way it goes. It's the way he does it, and we just need to see his face right there. It's his manifest presence. So, um, next one, learning to see. John 9.39. Let's pop that one up. Can you find John 
Lord says this one. He says, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near to him heard these things. They said, so are we blind? (laughs) Oh man, so are we blind? And Jesus answers and says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But because you say we see, your guilt remains. We have to admit blindness. It's the only way to being healed and getting sight. If we say, I can see, I can see, we're like the worm that says, I'm a butterfly, I can fly. No, you skipped the process. You don't have wings, you cannot fly. You don't have sight, you cannot see. Embrace the fact that I cannot see without Jesus healing me. Um, Luke 7, 39, this is a beautiful one. Do you know the story where Jesus is invited into the house of Simon, uh, who's a Pharisee? and he's eating with him, and then this woman who's a sinner comes and washes his feet, and Simon's like, oh, right? That moment? So the Pharisee who had invited him to dinner saw this and said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. I used to judge Simon like crazy. Oh, look at that arrogant Pharisee. But look at how Simon responds. Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. Say it, teacher. I, I remember the day I read that, I was like, oh no. Oh no, I, 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 I'm judging the Pharisee. I'm like, oh, arrogant Pharisee. And I'm like, oh no, he's humble too. Shoot. I'm like, oh crap. Sorry. But, <laughs> oh Yes. So, um, <laughs> turning to the woman, he's like, Simon, I'm, I'm skipping the forgiveness moment. Don't, you can read those verses about the forgiveness. But he says, Simon, do you see this woman? That's what he asks him. Do you see her? What did you see when you looked at her? Did you see judgment? Did you see pride? Or, I, don't, I don't think you're really seeing her. Let me show you what I see. Let me give you my eyes for her. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's been wetting my feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. Did you miss that? You gave me no kiss. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. She's anointed my feet with precious, costly oil. Do you see her? Do you see her? We have to learn to see. And a lot of times our judgment, our, it's the stuff inside us, our pride or whatever, it blocks us from really having his eyes. Uh, Luke 10, brilliant, brilliant story. Jesus is the wisest one. These aren't just kid stories, right? So good Samaritan, learning how to love our neighbor. Uh, good Samaritan. Now by chance, a priest going down the road, when he saw this man in the ditch, left, you know, beaten, left for dead. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. What? You're the priest. Now by chance, a priest came by. Yes, we have hope. Oh no, he passed me by. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, saw him, passed by. But then a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, saw him, had compassion, bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. So, The degree that the priest and the Levite are unwilling to stop for the man is the degree of transformation the priest needs. 
They looked, but they didn't really see. Whatever they saw was their own pride. They didn't want to be defiled. They were too busy. They were whatever. Passing the man in the ditch is passing my opportunity to meet with Jesus. My opportunity to encounter Christ and to grow. One of my favorite stories is Lazarus and the rich man. Do you guys know that one? There's a rich man feasting sumptuously at his table every day. And there's a man, poor beggar man named Lazarus, sitting at his gate, longing to be fed to the crumbs that fall from his table. Who here has a name? Lazarus, the poor man has a name. Who's telling the story? Jesus, the God of the universe, the king of all kings. Who has a name? The rich man does not have a name to him. The poor man has a name. And then after role reversal, they both die. Poor man is at Abraham's bosom. Rich man is in the torment of, torment of Hades. And what does the rich man say? Send Lazarus. I need him. Please send him. I think about how desperately we need the poor. We need Jesus ministering to us through them. And every time we pass those opportunities, we're passing our opportunity for transformation. But transformation takes humility. It takes inconveniencing ourselves. We have to go against the cultural idols of comfort, cultural idol of convenience, cultural idol of me first. We have to say, I want to follow Jesus. It's going to take stopping, inconveniencing me, being uncomfortable, going outside of my box, not liking the humility sanctification experience. But if I embrace that death, I will embrace life eternal. I'm ditching all the things the world goes for. Feel better now. No, feel worse now. Feel better later. Let them feel better by learning how to love. Lord, help me. Let's go to Matthew 20. I dig this one. We're going to close with this. Matthew 20 is an amazing parable. I didn't know it was amazing until Jesus shifted my perspective. Hang on. I lost my page. So Matthew 20 is the one about the labors. Remember this one? The labors get called out to work in the field. And there's some that get called out in the morning and they're working and then some midday and he calls some more and they're working and then some at the very end, the last hour of the day and they called in. And at the end of the day, he is lining them up to all give them their pay and they all get paid the same. And the ones who are working all day complain. Do you guys remember this one? So what do they say? What they say is, The ones who were hired first, they thought they would receive more by then. And on receiving uh, the same pay, they grumbled and they said, hey, they only worked one hour of the day, but you've made them equal with us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. And he replies to me, he says, friend, I haven't wronged you. So who gets the better deal here? The one who worked one hour and got paid the same or the one who worked all day and got paid the same? Who has the better deal here? It's a difference of perspective and it's a difference of value. I got to work all day with the Lord. 
I got to work all day with daddy God. You got to spend all day with God? Man, lucky you. I only got one hour with him. My only consolation is this payment that I got paid the same. You got a whole day of relationship time with him. You got to bear the heat of the day with Christ? Man, you're lucky. You got to bear some of the cross and take some heat and suffer with him? What an honor. I only got one hour of that. There's going to be some reward. My only reward is this consolation. Whatever you do in Christ, whether you take a nap, whether you raise the dead, it pays the same, eternal life. But eternal life is knowing him. So what does he say at the end? He doesn't say, worker, you agreed to pay, you agreed to this wage. I didn't wrong you. He doesn't say slave, servant, I didn't wrong you. He doesn't say labor, employee. He doesn't say that. He says, friend, friend. Because the issue is, are you working for him like a slave or are you working with him like a friend? If you're working with him like a friend and like a son being with daddy, you're like, yay, more relationship. I want to learn the, the business of my father. Wow, I can take some heat with you? Man, that's an honor. It's uncomfortable, Jesus. He's like, yeah, the cross is uncomfortable. Okay, right? That's just an amazing shift. But humility opens the way. The shift is in what you value. We value relationship. Think about the son, the older son, at the end of the prodigal son parable. He says the same thing, basically. Oh, man, I've been obeying you all these years. You never threw me a party. What are you looking for? He says, my son, you're, you've always been with me. You've always been with me. Are, are you missing the fact that you're with me? Or are you looking for this pay- payment of the party? Relationship. When Jesus is inviting us to sit at the table with someone who is unlovely, maybe smelly, broken, He's inviting us to encounter him, to be with him, to be a friend and let him share his heart with me. Jesus, what do you see? How do you see this guy? What do you love about him? I want to be your friend. I want to know what you love and what you, what you hate. I want to be, if you're, you're mad for some, you know, issue that uh, is of injustice that he's facing, I want to be mad with you. If you're, if you're in love with, uh, you know, broken over the journey he's been through. I want to break with you. I want to be your friend. I want to spend time with you. There's a beautiful, beautiful journey in transformation. And it's really the work of Christ. Humility is, is incredible beauty from the Lord. A new perspective is a beautiful thing. The faith journey is worth it. Jesus is so good every step of the way. He never leaves us in any season without an invitation to transformation, but it takes that humility. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the kindness that you, uh, you've befriended each one of us. You've offered us friendship. You've offered us sonship. You've offered us relationship. Thank you that you actually say, cry out for wisdom. I'll give you insight. I'll give you understanding. Lord, give us new perspectives. Show us what you see. Lord, I pray for the the help of the Holy Spirit to escort our hearts in humility. We need you to help us, Lord. I pray for the gift of powerful moments with Jesus, especially as we're loving 
our brother and our, the poor that are with us, Lord. In Jesus' name.